and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word. Good morning, everyone. The second reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses starting at verse 6. It can be found on page 805 of the small print and 1801 of the large print. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in your prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the reading of the Lord.
I'll pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, we do ask that you speak to us by the power of your spirit and help us to understand what you have to say to us. May it be of encouragement to us and a guide to our lives, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who can count know that uh, nine, eight and nine do not follow six. That um, last week I finished at the end of chapter five, and so you would expect me to do chapter six. But that would have meant that next week when we have our annual general meeting, I would have preached on money. And I really didn't think that next week on money would be a good fit. So I've cheated. So today is about money, and next week is chapter six. Two men were marooned on a tiny island. One man paced back and forth, worried and dreadfully frightened that he would not be saved, while the other man sat back whistling and sunning himself. The first man said, aren't you afraid we're going to die here? No, said the second man. How can you be so sure we won't die here, said the first man. Well, said the second man, I make $200,000 a month and I tithe in my church. My minister will find us. (laughs) A perennial problem that ministers have is how to get what is in your bank account into the church bank account. I've heard many stories about ministers and how they've tried to get, get money out of the congregation. I'm not sure if the following two are true or not, but one minister told the congregation that they needed X amount of money to that day and the church doors have been locked and we're not, you're not getting out until we get the money. Another minister passed the plate around and when they, when they brought it up, He looked at it and said, it's not enough, and sent it round again. I don't know if either of those stories are true or not, but this one is, because I know the church and I know the lady well who told me. Their minister was preaching on giving, and he said, as of an act of faith, I want you all to come up to the uh, communion table and empty your wallet and your purse and put it all on the communion table and see how God provides in the future. This lady said to me, she was a very poor pensioner, said, David, I couldn't do that. I'd gone to the bank on Friday and got the money out to pay my electricity and gas bill. And if I, and I brought it to church with me, and if I put that up there, I wouldn't have had any money and they would have cut off my gas bill, my gas and my electricity. So I didn't do it. How do we get money to do ministry? I could make you feel emotionally guilty. I could emotionally blackmail you. I could rant and rave, as you know I regularly do. Or what would have lasting effect... It's the word of God in the end. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, 
we've got a lot on money written about. And I want to just draw out some principles for you. Paul's problem was that he was trying to get the Corinthian church to do what they had promised to do. There were other churches, small Christian churches, that were suffering because of a famine. And so Paul had tried to get a collection from various churches. And the Corinthian churches had said, yes, we'll put in for this, just like we put money in for for Zambia Child and for other things. But because of the strife that had happened in the church, they'd forgotten to do it. And so Paul writes to them and says, hey, hey, this is what you need to do. If you look with me in verses 6 and 7, it says this. And so we urge Titus, just as he'd earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your behalf, on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, And in love we have kindled into you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. And then in verse 11, now finish the work so that your eager eager willingness to do, do it may be matched by your completion of it. So he is asking them to actually give. Do what you said you would do. And he gives two examples to encourage them. First of all, in the beginning of chapter 8, he says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in richness and generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. He says, look, look at those other churches. We all need examples of, from, of from, we learn from one another, don't we? And so he is reminding them, here is this other church. And one of the important principles that comes out of it is this, that they actually gave when life was tough. So often we say, well... You know, when I get a lot more money and I feel more comfortable, I'll give something. But he reminds them that they actually gave out of the difficulties that they had. And the second example is one, of course, which we cannot beat. It wins hands down every time. It's the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says to us in verse 5, And they exceeded our expectations... They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. We are reminded there that what takes place is that they had become followers of Jesus and therefore they could give. And Paul goes on and says to us in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Our hearts are open to give, to whatever we give to, because we are reminded of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. That 
There he was in heaven with God in a perfect place, having a perfect relationship. And he comes to earth and is poor and suffers. I do not have to rehearse it for you. You all know it so well that he humbled himself to either to even death upon the cross. And so, you know, if you put together all the money of Bill Gates, Warren Buffett and Mark Zuckerberg and they, they and had all that they had and they lost it, it would be small in comparison to what Christ has lost in saving us. And so there we have the motivations that Paul sets forth in regards to giving. First of all, look and be reminded about what other people have given. Secondly, do not forget what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, that he gave so much so that we can go to heaven. And Paul sums it up at the end of chapter 9 where he says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, which of course is the Lord Jesus. So that is our motivation for giving. Secondly, the rubber hits the road when we think, how much should I give? That's the hard one, isn't it? Some people believe that we ought to give 10%. I'm not sure that that's necessarily right. And for these reasons, Paul says this. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, he says, On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So it's up to each person to sort of think about it. You know, 10% for somebody might be an amazingly extraordinary sacrifice. But for somebody else, it might be just a drop in the bucket. Secondly, Paul says in chapter 8 and verse 3, these words. I have said before, um, chapter 8, verse 3, and it says... For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. There are times in our lives, because of our life cycle, that we have more money than at other times, for various reasons. If you've got teenage children, they eat, eat everything. You know, they're bottomless pits. And you may be paying off the mortgage. And you may not have much. Or you might be facing some medical issues. Or you might be out of work. I know of one lady who stopped going to church because she didn't have any money to put in the plate. I wish I'd have known about it beforehand. And I've said, don't be silly. Come. So he says that. And in verse 11, he says, according to your means. And in verse 12, he says, according to what one has. Not what, according to what he does not have. So, it's for each person to work out what they can give, when they can give, 
and how much they can give. I do not believe that in any way we are bound by some law. And my approach has always been give to what you pray for. If you're praying for a ministry, such as Scripture Union or the Scripture in schools or the Zambia child, then you give. You can give to those sorts of things. And another point is this, that in regards to church giving, and I know it doesn't apply to this congregation, but it's a good principle to bear in mind, you actually give to ministry as to what they're actually doing. Are they extending the kingdom of God? Are people being pastored to? You know, some people say, well, I don't like that minister, so I'm not going to put any money in the plate. No. Now, I know the ministers here are perfect and you've got no trouble with them. No. But sometimes they're not perfect. And you think, well, why should I give ministry to that? Well, the principle is it's not the person. It's the ministry that is involved. And, you know, if people are being pastored, visited and taught the word of God, then maybe you ought to be supporting that. We are... There's one other thing that I want to raise, and that is that Paul says to us in chapter 9 and verse 7, we need to be cheerful givers. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Well, we know that it's a good principle in life, isn't it? People who are mean-spirited don't get much. But people who are generous are often helped out by other people when life gets tough for them. Each person, Paul writes in verse 7, should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Ira will probably have a heart attack now, but if you can't give cheerfully, don't give. Quick, call the ambulance. (laughs) But it's true. If it's done reluctantly, it's not the way in which God would want us to do it. He says to us, not under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. Christians are called upon to be generous. We will not store up toilet paper. We will actually make sure others have enough. And you see, the last thing I want to say is that the world actually thinks that when we give things away, we've lost them. But what does the scriptures say to us about our God? This is a passage of the Bible that you probably know very, very well. It's Matthew chapter 6, and I read these words to you. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? And so we're reminded, and I'm not going to read the whole passage, but we're reminded there that our God has his unblinking eye on us. He knows what we need. He knows the things that we're going through both individually and corporately as the body of Christ. He will care. His provisions may come strangely or they may be difficult at times. But he is our Heavenly Father who sent the Lord Jesus to die for us. And so as it says in Romans chapter 8, he who did not spare his own son, will he not give us all things? Why should we give? Because Christ gave of himself for us. How much should we give? It's solely up to you to decide. But as you give, remember that giving in regards to the work of God, has eternal consequences. It's remarkable, isn't it? There will be people in heaven because you gave and they will be eternally thankful. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. You know our financial circumstances and we do pray that you will help us to think through how much we should give, to whom we should give. And we pray, Father, that as we give, that you will work in us so that we actually grow in our faith and trust in you, our Heavenly Father. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.